I have a good word for you guys this morning. Yeah, I wasn't that confident before in a lot of my sermons. It's like, I've got to preach this. You know, a lot of times Carl would leave, and I don't know why. I would, get, uh, I would get the tough subjects. But I really believe, and it's not because I'm good. It's like, oh, you're really proud of yourself. You're really arrogant, Tom. I really believe this. The word that I will be preaching about today is a good word. Because God's word is good. But I want to say this is one of the better ones. This is one of the, actually one of the scriptures we're going to read. It's one of the greatest scriptures, I think, at least in the New Testament. But it's a powerful scripture. And it's actually a verse that we all know. It's, it's a concept that we should know because um, there's been books written about it. There's been songs written about it. There's been hundreds of teachings. Uh, right, we, right now we sing a song that actually uh, takes from this verse. Um, how many of you guys love that song, Cornerstone? Sing it with me. Come on. There's going to be a lot of singing in this teaching. Okay, so you got to sing with me, right? Cornerstone. Wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love, right? That's what we're talking about. One of the main verses, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a great verse, guys. And it's not the fact that I, when I am weak, I am strong on my own power. Basically, it's saying this. When I am weak, Christ is strong in me. I am strong because of Christ. And the way it's said in this song is, is the weak is made strong. When we are weak, when we are at our lowest of our lows, Jesus comes by and makes us strong. It's not the fact that he's over here and I'm weak and that he's over here because Jesus is always strong, right? He's always strong and you're like, you just stay over weak over there. He's basically saying, no, I will, in your weakness, I will make you strong. We know this, right? Oh, come on, Sunday school people, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible says, tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. He is strong, right? Actually, um, when I was in high school, I rewrote this song. I took, the, I, I took the verses, I made it really, really fast and put distortion to it. I made a punk Jesus Loves Me version. And I will encourage Trevor. Trevor, dude, pick. I, I still remember how it goes, man. Come on, let's rock it at church. Let's rock the punk version of Jesus Loves Me. How about that, right? When he, we are weak and he is strong. There's another song we sing by Chris Tomlin, which actually relates to this verse, is... Um, um, your grace is enough. How many of you guys love this? Your grace is enough, right? Because it's linked to the scripture. Your grace is sufficient for me, right? Um, cornerstone is a lot of sun. So we know this, and I want to start this whole sermon with, with saying one thing. Because we know it, you might have the tendency right now to just go, okay, I already know this, Tom. This is something I've already heard. I don't need to hear it. Okay, so, and I encourage you right now, please do not just click off because maybe you're doing okay. You might be doing really strong in the Lord right now, and you're going, eh, it's okay. This is for the people who are weak, who are struggling, who really, really need Jesus. Because I'm looking around, there's a lot of people that need Jesus around here, right? Maybe, yeah, woo, yeah, me, right? So I want to say this. If you are weak, if you are one of the people that are coming here and you're weak because you woke up this morning and there's circumstances in your life and you're going, you know what, I need Jesus. I need to get the church. Welcome to Hope Chapel. Thank you for coming. Why? Because I, wanna, I know this, that God wants to make you strong. He wants to build you up. He wants to encourage you. He wants your life to be an incredible thing. And through the storm, he wants to make you strong. So I, I wanted to say, for those of you who are feeling weak, you're in the absolute right place. Welcome to Hope Chapel, all right? If you're feeling okay, 
if nothing is going bad or nothing is good and you're kind of blah, I want to tell you this. God wants to give you passion. God wants to give you a passion for his word, for church. He doesn't want you to be, be just blah. He wants you to have passion. It says in John, it says, uh, for the thief comes to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. But I, who Jesus is saying this, I have come to give you life abundantly. And he didn't say that just when you get to heaven. You get to heaven, it's like, oh, there's the abundant life. He's basically saying, I have given, I'm going to give it to you now. I'm going to give it to you today. So for those of you who are okay, that's all right, cool. For those of you who are strong, doing great in the Lord, you're going to mini church, you're getting involved, you're in a ministry. You sang that song that Tate sang. It's like, your love is fire. And you know what? You look at me. We're George Boo. I'm growing up. I'm on fire for the Lord. I have an, I, 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 life is good. I want to tell you right now, God has more for you. I want to tell you, if you're feeling good, I want to say God wants to exceed that. He wants to go past that and give you even more, abundantly more than you even have now. So I really believe that this message is not for just the weak, right? This is for everybody. Are you with me? All right, let's go. So in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and uh, we're going to go in here. And, and I, I just want to kind of preface it with, you know, we've, we've been uh, hearing teachings, right? Pastor Carl... Pastor Rob talked about authority. For two weeks, we talked about authority, God's authority that he has for us. Um, I talked about God's jealousy. And basically, it's Paul, in all these chapters before this, he's trying to prove to the Corinthian church that he has authority, that he has a calling from God. And he's saying, I'm worth listening to. Do not just shove me aside and say, oh, he's that funny looking guy and he d does this and whatever it is. And they, remember, there was better speakers than him. They're they a little more flamboyant, but they didn't know the truth, right? And so um, Paul has to and is forced to, he said that in, in, in here, he's, you're, you forced me to brag about it. He's trying to give his spiritual resume. And so here we catch up to uh, the Apostle Paul and here he, he continues giving his spiritual resume. So here we go. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up uh, to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I don't know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that you cannot, uh, it, it, they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to uh, do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, I would uh, only be a fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. And so Paul is trying to make a point just in these verses, but can I make a side point, a side note? Um, Paul went to third heaven. That's cool. <laughs> can, can I just, you guys, are, are you guys not impressed that, that, that he was pulled, his body was pulled into third heaven? I think that's incredible. And you might be thinking, oh, that's past, uh, past. that's the apostle Paul. Right, God only did that thing for Paul. Well, uh, if, you, if you want to understand, you're, maybe you're wondering, what is the third heaven? And so, let me explain. In the Jewish culture, there's actually seven heavens um, in, in their culture. If you read, and I don't know all of them, but they kind of whittle down to the three important ones. And so, here's what uh, the, the three heavens are. The first heaven is basically what you see in the sky. 
Um, this morning, I came up for the 7 o'clock service. How many of you guys have been here since 7 o'clock service? Yeah! Let's give these people a hand. But here's, an, here's my advertisement if you want to go to the 7 o'clock service. Right now is the perfect moment to go to the 7 o'clock service is because when, right when you drive up, the sun is coming up over the mountains. It's like, ooh, I'm in church. Awesome. God is showing up. This is awesome. So the first heaven, sorry, a little tangent. The first heaven is the sky, is the clouds, is the birds. It's what you see in front of you. It's the earthly atmosphere, right? The second heaven is the starry heaven. It's where the stars are. It's where the sun is. It's, it's, the, it's the, uh, the beyond our earthly realm, right? It's, it's way beyond there. The third heaven is beyond that. And that's where the Jewish people believe that's where God dwells. That's the home of God. And whether, whether they tapped into some knowledge and he knows that, that God uh, lives beyond the stars, what they're really, really saying is that God is bigger than my earthly atmosphere, that God is bigger than the starry atmosphere. He's actually bigger than that. And that's where he lives. Are you guys with me? And here's where Paul gets pulled up to, whether he was a vision or he was physically pulled up. I think that's cool. And here's my little side note. I don't think it's only for Paul to experience great things like this. I think God wants us to experience incredible, amazing things of the Lord. I, 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 and now, now you're saying, does that mean all of us get to be pulled up to third heaven? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying God wants to blow your socks off. And whether it's being pulled up to the third heaven or like Elijah who heard this whisper of God, he heard the whisper and he's like, whoa, that was the Lord. I really believe God wants to experience him. And when we avail ourselves to him, whether we're praying or just going, God, I want your, I want your will to be done in my life and I want to grow and you come to church and you're just doing it. I really think if you just kind of make yourself available for God to do things in your life, whether it's a small whisper or a great, amazing thing, I really believe that he wants to do for, do you guys believe that? And I'm, I'm, if you don't, I want to just tell you, because I, I, I've, I've been a Christian for a while, and I've just, there's been times in the lowest of my lows, so we're talking about weak made strong, right? In the lowest times of my life, when I was just like, man, I need God. God has shown up in some miraculous, crazy, creative ways that literally if I told you, you'd be like, Tom, you crazy. You would say it just like that. Tom, you crazy. Because it was weird. It was just weird stuff. But he's done that for my life. Even for Paul, Paul is saying here, um, I didn't tell anybody for 14 years. This happened to me 14 years ago, and this is the first time I'm bringing it up because you've actually forced me to do this. Uh, it was a personal thing. It was a personal thing that he experienced with God. And, and, and that's an amazing thing because even how great and amazing and um, he's the creator of the universe, God is still a personal God. I want to tell you that. God is a personal God, and he wants you to experience him. Is that okay for me to say that? All right. Um, but he goes on in, in verse 5. He says this. He says, um, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to boast about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear my message. And so basically what Paul is saying, it really doesn't matter that I got pulled into third heaven. It doesn't really matter that I heard conversations in heaven. What it really matters is, is that what you see is what you get, and what you get from me is Jesus. That when you see me in person, when you hear the words that are coming my, out of my mouth, you should already know that I am a follower of Christ. Bottom line, 
You shouldn't have to look at my past and go, oh, yeah, Paul did some great things. Oh, yeah, he, he had some great visions. Oh, he was, um, he was blinded by, by Jesus himself, and he had a vision. Like, so I, I should listen to him. No, basically, Paul says, don't even worry about that. Just look at my life. Um, how many guys know my, my dad? They call him Uncle Tom. They call him Uncle Tom. And it, it's kind of sad because I'm getting to an age where people call me Uncle Tom. I'm like, that's my dad. I don't want to be Uncle Tom. I'm, I'm Tom. I'm just regular Tom. Right? I'm just, I'm in denial. Okay. But I want to take a poll here. How many guys have actually been fed by my father? How many guys have eaten? And maybe you might be even sitting here and you don't even know that you ate my dad's food because he cooked for all the camps. He cooked for the men's breakfast and the women's breakfast. Doesn't have to be a woman, right? Um, he cooked for the open house. Anybody went to the open house? He, he just, he gives and he gives. Um, and he comes up here every week. He comes in here and he, he weed whacks the, the, all the stuff. He pulls weeds and stuff. And he's just a servant of the Lord. And my, if you know my dad, my dad is a kind of man of few words, right? He just kind of, you know, and when he says something, you're like, ooh, I, gotta, I better listen. But he's just a man of, I've never had like a real spiritual like conversation with my dad. My dad has never come to me like, you know what, boy? You got to love Jesus. You got to love him with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength. Right? My dad doesn't really talk like that, but I'm just... <laughs> he doesn't talk like that at all. Sorry, Dad. But we've never had spiritual conversations. But I want to tell you one thing. I know for a fact that he loved Jesus with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength because I see it through his actions. I, threw it, I see it through the way he lives, not just one year or maybe last year he got close to the Lord. I've seen it for 20, 30 years in my life. When he became a, a follower of Jesus, I see it in his life every single day. That's the way we should be. My dad doesn't say much. He doesn't come up here and preach because that's not his gifting. He's not going to do it. Me, for me, I'm the guy. I can, I, my gifting is to make a fool out of myself and go, hey, Jesus, okay, and follow Jesus. My dad cooks food and you've eaten it. And he loves Jesus because of it, right? And so we should be like that. But I'm going to go on in verse 7. It says this, here's Paul continuing, he says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, this is a very interesting verse. Basically, he's saying this, um, I have something that bugs me. I have this thorn in my flesh. I'm just going to, a thorn, right? Something that's uh, nagging me. It's constant. It's always there. It always bugs me. It actually, sometimes it, it, it hinders my ministry and it's, just, I, 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 it's a thorn in my flesh. And what he's saying here, it's kind of interesting. I was given a thorn in my flesh to keep me from becoming proud. And I think that's a really good perspective because if you look at Paul's life, it's a very powerful ministry, wouldn't you think? If Paul was alive today, how many, I mean, I would go to his conference. I would, I would find his church. Where's Paul's church, man? He, this guy's a man of God, right? I mean, he was famous. He was influential. Back in that day, he was, right? He was a Pharisee that knew the scriptures, but then he got this miraculous deliverance and, and salvation from Jesus Christ that Jesus blinded him and actually spoke to him, why are you persecuting me? He had this miraculous uh, conversion to the Lord. Um, he went to city after city, raising the dead, uh, healing the sick, doing a lot of all these amazing things, right? And basically, he was Paul. And Paul, people looked up to him, and you know what? Because of it, because he was so um, effective and influential and powerful, wouldn't, wouldn't you think he'd be more subject to pride? Wouldn't you guys agree? That it'd be like, dude, he can just go, back, look. he could stand back, look back at all his accomplishments and go, yep, look at that. 
look what I did for the Lord, but still have this prideful stare. I think he was making sure that he checked himself. And God was saying, check yourself. And um, that's something I, you know, here's a little, a little, another side note is, you know, a lot of people that want to go into ministry, I, I, I always kind of give them a warning. I'm like, you know what? Before you get into ministry, make sure you just protect yourself. You watch out because the enemy wants to come at you. Because before you stepped on into ministry, before you started wanting to share the gospel and, and want to be used by Jesus Christ, you're basically on the bench. You're on the couch and you weren't doing anything. But now you've decided to get off the bench and get in the game. And guess what? The enemy is not happy about that. And that basically you become a target. And so I, I always kind of warn people, like, watch out. And so Paul, he knew that, you know, it's like I, I, I'm subject to pride because I, I have a lot to brag about. Um, I talked about Cornerstone. And uh, when do you guys bring up that, that first verse in Cornerstone? Do you know that this song, this verse, is actually not a new song? How many of you guys actually know that? That this was actually taken from a hymn? They borrowed the lyrics, the verses, from a, an old hymn called Solid Rock. I'm going to sing again. Are you guys ready? On Christ the solid rock I stand. Anybody know this? All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Okay. Not many of you know that one. But this was taken from an old hymn written like in the 1800s by this guy, Edward Mote. And he wrote this song. And so basically Cornerstone is an updated version so that we can sing it's contemporary, whatever it is. But I love this song. And you guys know what this line means, right? It basically says, I shouldn't rely on anything other than Jesus. That's, a, that's, that's very clear in that line right there, that Jesus should be my cornerstone. It shouldn't be any other ground, whatever it is. But let me ask you this, and I want to take a poll here. When you guys sing the line, I dare not tr trust the sweetest frame, how many guys actually know what a frame is? I, I want to I know. Frame, Edna knows, that's one. Anybody else? That's one. Which means this, you guys had no idea what you were singing for months when we introduced it, right? You come into worship like, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I don't know what that means, but with all my heart, I'm singing to you. I don't want the sweetest frame, Lord. You don't even know what that is. And so, do you guys want to know? Well, I looked online. I said, okay, what does the sweetest frame mean? What's the source of this? It was written in the 1800s. And you know what I found online? They don't even know. Online doesn't even know. They have suggestions because of the fact that it was written so long. They don't know what the usage of frame was back in the day. But there's three suggestions. And I like these three suggestions because actually you can either relate to one of them or all three of them or whatever it is. But here's the three suggestions of what frame actually means. When you're saying, I dare not trust the sweetest frame other than Jesus. The first possibility of what frame mean, means is your, your frame of mind your state of mind. And what this means is that you're relying on, on uh, um, your, your self-worth, your, your mindset. It's like, I, I'm going to think good thoughts. I'm going to think positive thoughts, right? It's like self-help kind of thing. And you're just like, I got to remain in this, this mind frame. Um, and, and so basically, you're, 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 you're kind of hyping yourself to, to, to be in this state. How many guys love vacation? And if you don't raise your hand, you're a liar, right? Come on. How many guys are like, I got to go on vacation again, right? <laughs> I love vacation because it's like, 
you know, no, no worries, no work. You get to relax. You get, you get to be with your family. You get, to, you get to make up the state of mind, the circumstance that is relaxing and peaceful. You know what's one of the worst days of your vacation? The last day of your vacation. Why? Because you're stressed about work, trying to keep your state of mind in the same place, right? You're like, oh man, this is so great. Work, work, oh no. You gotta go work tomorrow. You gotta wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. No, right? You're just, you're always, the, and then when you get to work, it didn't happen in this job because I love my job. But this happened in my other job when I was landscaping. When you get to work, how many guys try to think of when you're back on vacation, right? I used to landscape, I used to mow lawns, man. I used to weed whack. Do not weed whack dead slugs, they are the worst. They're worse than dog poop, I promise, right? I had to go back to this job after being on vacation, and so I'd be mowing lawns, and the whole time I'd be like, oh man, I'm, I'll be trying in my frame of mind, trying to go back to when I was on vacation, and I'll be like missing spots on the lawn, and I'll be like, oh, like this, but I was like, I gotta get back there. The problem with that is, on our own ability and our own strength and our own, our, us trying to keep that frame of mind, our frame of mind dissipates. It goes away. We forget about it. We forget the memories. It, it kind of, it, it's constantly dying. But here's the thing. You guys remember when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and the storm was raging and the circumstances were going and the, and the wind was, and, the, and the, the, the disciples were freaking out? Where was Jesus? We mentioned this a couple times. He was asleep inside the bottom of the boat. And I want to tell you, that's the Jesus that we worship. That's the frame of mind that we need to tap into. A frame of mind is when everything is, is going haywire, when the wind and the storm is going around, we have Jesus going, hey, what are you guys worried about? I'm Jesus. That's the, same, uh, the frame of mind that we need to keep. The second possibility of a frame is a person. Is actually, and let's be honest here, right? I mean, what were you guys thinking when you sang Sweetest Frame, right? Were you thinking of a person like a sweet frame? Let's be honest, guys and girls, right? That guy's got a sweet frame, right? I feel like an idiot because that's what I thought. So I'm not going to trust no sweet frame, right? And actually, it, means a, it might mean a person. And here's the thing. When I was in a high school, uh, when I was a high school pastor, actually, I, I remember seeing kids come in. I would see groups come in. I would see kids bring their friends. And um, you would see these, these groups, it's, it's kind of cool, right? Because they would bring their friends just because they didn't want to be in church alone. And these friends would come and worship God. They'd go to our camps. They'd be in our mini church. Uh, they loved the Lord. But then, then I would see like maybe one of them fall away. Kind of like they stopped worshiping Jesus or whatever it is. And they just kind of backslid. Then all of a sudden I would see just one, one or more slip away. And, and all of a sudden you would see that group just kind of disappear. And what, what I thought, I was like, wow, it's like their whole relationship with Jesus was based on their friend, was based on them, oh, I'm going to come to church, and I'm only going to come if they're there, and, but it wasn't based on Jesus. I mean, another example, I've seen couples come, right, boyfriend and girlfriend come, right, or, you know, guys who do um, uh, dating evangelism, I do not, do not suggest you do that, but some people do, like, I'm going to save her by dating her, all right, so they bring in the church, but then that guy, that guy leaves church. And so the girl will leave church because I love Jesus because of him. Are you with me? My whole relationship depends on Jesus. And I want to tell you one thing. Your whole relationship should depend on Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Amen. It shouldn't depend. If those people, seriously, people are faulty. People will let you down. They will. I don't mean to be dependent. I will let you down. I am faulty. I'm not perfect, right? They will let you down. But through all that, when they're all gone, I hope that your one person that you lean on to is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Okay? And that's what they're talking about here. That's the one option, that you rely on something, uh, someone else other than Jesus. The third possibility of what frame means is an actual frame, a frame of a building, uh, a support, you know, whatever it is. And uh, I was kind of thinking about what kind of things, what kind of um, objects do we rely on that we depend on other than Jesus? And I, I had some ideas here. Um, another uh, one support that we could lean on is our accomplishments, right? You have a BA. I have a BA. It doesn't mean much, <laughs> right? Uh, you might have a master's. You might have all these accomplishments. You have all these things. You might build businesses. And it's like, ooh, I've done all this. And you might rest on your accomplishments. You might rest on your credentials. Maybe you've gone to school for a long time and you're a doctor or whatever it is. And you have your PhD. And you might rely on your smarts um, or your accolades that people have given you. Um, other, another thing you can rely on is your own talent. The, God, the gifts that God has given you, maybe you're a real detailed person, you're organized, or you're a visionary, or you're really, um, you're really uh, business savvy, or whatever it is, and you're relying on that, right? Or just physical appearance, you're, you're just relying on who you are, right? Um, you can rely on your personality, right? Your charisma. That's one thing I relied on. It's like, you know, I'm going to be the funny Tom, whatever it is. But like, no, Jesus is saying, don't rely on that. Rely on me. Rely on my talent. Rely on my gifts. Um, another thing you can rely on is your possessions, the things that you own, your house, car, money in the bank. That's, that's the thing you're, you're resting all uh, of your dependency on. That's another frame. Um, I read something this week in Mark 10, a story that I've read probably a dozen times. I've heard people preach about it. But I've always had, I think I've read this scripture wrong for a lot of years, actually. Um, and it's the story of the rich man. If you guys remember the rich man, he was either a ruler or he just had a lot of possessions. And he went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? Well, here's what you got to do. You got to follow the commandments. You got you, you, you to follow the law. And he answered Jesus. He gave Jesus the right answer. Jesus, I have been following the commandments since I was real young. I know I have done it. I've done everything I could. I know, I know all the laws. I've done that. And then Jesus looked at him again and said, well, here's one more thing you need to do. You need to give up all your possessions. And with that, the guy, his face turned low and he was really bummed. And he turned around and he walked away. And I always, I always struggle with that scripture because I'm all, Jesus, wow, man, you just really shut that guy down, didn't you? He's kind of like, you got to give up your possessions. Oh, you're not going to do it, are you? Okay, bye. Right? You know, and I'm like, Jesus, you're supposed to love us as we are. Like, we're supposed to come just as you are, right? To Jesus. I'm like, what, what happened? Were you just being, you know, too cold? Or were you, were you, I mean, like, you seriously, all of his disciples did the same thing because he, he said to his disciples, come follow me. And they dropped everything. So I get it. I get it, Jesus, that you had this standard. And I read it this week, and it kind of blew me away because I said, you know what? I've been reading this scripture wrong. And in Matthew 10, it says this. When the man came up to him, Jesus spoke to him. He said, looking at the man, Jesus, this is in Mark 10, verse 21, Jesus felt genuine love for him. 
And when I read that, I was like, okay, I get it. Because even before he said, give up your possessions, Jesus loved him. Isn't that cool? Before we even come to him, before we come anything, Jesus still loves us. And what I thought, my like, Jesus, then what were you thinking then when you told him like, to, to give up and, he didn't, and you knew he didn't want to do it? I was thinking, and I'm not Jesus, but I was just kind of thinking what Jesus thought. And I was thinking, he probably saw potential in him. He probably saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. He says, man, if you give up all your possessions, you, you got a lot of stuff. You have a lot of power. If you give that up and help the poor, you help the needy, you know how many people are going to come to me because of you? And, and it kind of changed his statement a little bit. So if you give up your possessions, ama imagine the amazing things I can do through you. that cool? It changed my whole perspective of that, of that scripture. And I have no idea where that guy went afterwards. I don't, I'm not sure if there's any story. Um, but I, I was thinking of one story. Um, the time when the rich man gave up the tomb for Jesus Christ. You guys remember that? When Jesus died on the cross, and um, I think his name was Joseph, he gave up his tomb. His, his, whatever it was, a family tomb, it was this big tomb that it was for him. But he gave it for Jesus, and he didn't know that Jesus was not going to, well, he didn't know Jesus was, was going to resurrect and empty the tomb. He thought Jesus was going to be there forever, but I'm going to give up my tomb. But don't you think that's cool that this guy gave up a, pos a possession, something of his, and it became the thing, the place where Jesus was resurrected? I think that's cool. God took something, his possession, took it beyond his dreams, something beyond he could ever even imagine. I think that's really an awesome thing. And he says, Paul had a thorn. Paul was explaining his thorn. And what does that mean to us? I mean, what are the thorns in our life? I think we have to always look at Scripture and go, okay, what, what is that, how does that apply to me? The thorns in our life, I want you to think about it. What, what are the thorns that are constantly there? It could be physical ailments. It could be relationships. <laughs> Maybe you know somebody that's a thorn in your side. Hopefully they're not sitting next to you, right? Maybe you know somebody. Maybe it's a lack of relationships, Somebody in the mini church this week basically said, you know what, I'm lonely. I, I don't have anybody. My family has moved. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a thorn in his side. Um, it could be our past. Maybe someone's always bringing up our past. That's a, a constant thorn in our side. Maybe we're in a financial situation that we're not making ends meet, and we're like, oh, man, come on, God, pull me out of this. Maybe it's a, the job that we're in. I don't know what it is, but I want to encourage you to take Paul as your example and get the right perspective. In, in the message version, it actually says this. This is the message version of, of verse 7. I love this. It says, because of the extravagance of those relations, uh, revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. You might be going through some incredible tough times right now. You, are de you might be one of the people, I'm weak right now. I need Jesus. I need encouragement, right? 
and I don't know and I don't have an answer for you, actually, I do have an answer. Do what Paul did. Does your weakness, does the thorn in your side drive you to your knees? And what I mean by that, driving to your knees, is drive you to prayer, drive you to Jesus. Get closer to him while he gets closer to you. Because in the weakest times, like I said, the weakest times that I have I've been in the, in the dumps going, oh man, right? Times when I just like, okay, God, I came to a point where I, I just told Jesus, you are all I got. You are all I have. And that's what Paul did. Those are weakness, those little thorns, right? Whether, whether they're getting answered or not, you might be mad at God right now. Yeah, you actually might be mad at God because he's not answering your prayers. And I don't have an answer to that. I don't, I don't know why God answers some prayers and then he doesn't answer some of these prayers. I don't know why he heals some people and some people don't get healed. But I still believe he's God. Because God is God, right? And actually, here's Paul. Paul did the same thing, right? In verse 8. Three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. He actually says that right here. Paul, we're talking about. Paul, who healed the sick. Paul, who delivered people, who did miraculous things in the name of the Lord, tried to pray for himself, actually begging the Lord, please take it away. And what did God do? No. Three times. And here's the most amazing verse, and here's what we're getting to, where I think this is just, bam, this is, this is something you should memorize. This is something you should know. Here's in verse 9, it says this, right? I'll, I'll read from verse 8 again. It says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know about you guys, but isn't that a good word? Come on. Literally, seriously. That is a good word. I don't have to preach it to you to go, come on, is that a good word? No, that's a good word whether you're clapping or not. That's a good word. That his grace. Actually, I like the... I, sometimes I go to the King James Version, the New King James Version, because I like the way it says it better. That's just me. But I like it w the way it says it here in the New King James Version, the, uh, verse 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, here's the thing. Sufficient means this. Sufficient means enough to meet the needs of a situation or proposed end. And perfect means this. You're, it's complete. It's whole. Now, if you put those two together, Jesus doesn't just want to give you a, a, a bone just to get by. Because I think a lot of us think of God's grace like that, right? What is grace? Let me, let me define grace really quick. Grace is undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. Bottom line is Jesus Christ died for us, gave his, gave his life up for you, despite your sin, despite who you are, despite that you deserve to go to hell, he did that anyway to save you, uh, even though we deserve death and sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's grace. We don't deserve it, right? And basically he's saying, I'm not just giving you a, a bone. To, dude, I'm completing it. I'm making it whole, right? I'm making it better than you ever thought it was. Okay, I'm going to say it in a different way. How many guys, how many guys are hooked up to technology? 
I'm raising my hand because I am. How many guys? Come on. Let's be honest here. Smartphone. How many guys actually own a phone? Come on, you text. You have a laptop or not. People are like, you guys are all liars. Come on. Every single person here is like, boom, right? You have something, right? That's like technology. It's like, oh man, thank you, Steve Jobs. Awesome, right? What is in on that device, whatever device it is, what is in the top right corner always? What is it? It's the power bar, right? Now at 100, at 100, your power bar, you're good, right? You're good for the whole day, right? At 80%, how many guys at 80% Charge your battery at 80%. Anybody? Whoa, whoa, look at these guys. You guys are, you guys are weirdos. You guys are freaks. It's like 80%, oh! No one's panicking at 80%, right? How many guys charge your battery at 50%? Right, 50%, right? It's like, okay, 50%. I, you know, I can't go all day with this, but you know, it's like I better charge it, right? How many guys charge your battery at 25%? Okay, how many guys like me? Wait till it's red, blinking, going, ding, ding, I'm gonna die. You better hurry up and charge me. Come on, come on, bring it. Now here's, here's the thing. A lot of us live our Christian walk like that. We're at 100, we're doing good. Eh, I'm doing good. Awesome, right? 80%, we're like, okay, well maybe, maybe I gotta pray a little bit more. I just got to pray to Jesus a little bit more just to get a little refresher, but I'm good. 50%, you're like, I got I to gotta get back to church. <laughs> I got to start going back to mini church, right? I got to get some fellowship here, right? 25%, we're kind of a little panicked. We're like, oh, man. Okay, I got to start doing devotions again. I got to start doing devotions. When it's red, when life and the carpet below you has been pulled out, and you have nothing, isn't that when we kind of go to our knees and ask for Jesus? We're not, not at 100%, not at 80, not at 50, but we're like, okay, oh man, I'm, I'm done. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong. When you're at red, dude, that's the only place you go to is Jesus. Amen? Amen. When it's in the red, bam. And seriously, you get desperate, right? I mean, when my phone is at red, dude, I'm, I'm stealing stuff. You know, I didn't have a charger in my office, man. I, I'm like going, I'm going around my office, Christians, right? I'm going, whose desk is empty and who has a charger? Because I'm stealing it right now. <laughs> Boom. Tammy, thank you. Boom. You're not here. You'll be none the wiser. Awesome. Put it back. She never knew. Now she does. But, right? We get desperate for the fact. But here's the thing I think Paul and I think Jesus is saying to us right? We live our lives in this zero to 100 percentile power bar. What Jesus is saying, and I think Paul is saying, is saying, you got to change your power bar. You got to change your power bar. Because if you tap into the power bar of my grace, it's limitless. It's past 100. It actually blows the top off of the 100 percent, and it keeps going. It keeps going forever, and it's an energizer bunny, and it doesn't die. Are you hearing me? That's the grace that is sufficient for us, that is made perfect. It's blown off. And what, what we need to do is throw away this idea that we're at, well, okay, I'm 100%, I'm good, and I'm going to be red. Because seriously, if you really think about it, if you're at 100% and you have, have God's power ball of grace, you're always weak. 
Because compared to him, he's God. Are you hearing me? I mean, that, that's like, compared to him, you're always in a weak position because you're not, you're nowhere near as big as Jesus Christ. You're no, nowhere near as big as God. If you're at 100%, 80, 50, 25, and the red, you're in the same position. And we have to come at a place of weakness and we gotta, we gotta tap into this going, you know what? My God is great. Because a lot of the times when we're living in this, our worldly power bar, we can only accomplish what we can accomplish in human standards, right? We can, we can only go, oh, I'm a human, and I only can go, boom, that much. When we have, great, we have God's power bar, we can accomplish things beyond what we can imagine or think of, or it's miracles. It's just, wow, you blew, blew me away, God. I can't believe that. I can't believe with my little, my little faith that you did this much. How many guys know that's our God that we worship, right? Right? And here's the thing. A lot of times when we're at 100, I'm good with Jesus because of me, because of my devotion, my, my, I go to church. I am a good, I'm in a good financial situation because of me. I am good because da-da-da-da. Uh, or basically, too, I'm like, I'm, I'm in the red because of me, right? But here's the thing. When we are in God's grace and, and have God's power bar, we don't take the credit. He gets the glory. He gets the glory every single time. And I think we have to live in that. That's the grace that is sufficient, that is made perfect in our weakness. And I love this. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to do something really cool right now. We're going to sing Cornerstone. And the one thing I want you to know, uh, how many guys love that song? Come on. Great song. Just an encouraging song, but I actually, there's an amazing story behind this song, Cornerstone. How many guys remember last summer, I think uh, last summer, yeah, uh, in Norway there was a tragedy. There was a, a horrific thing that happened where this guy decided to just go on a rampage killing people. Um, bombings and shootings. He went to I forgot where he was at, but he, had, he set a bomb and eight people were killed. Then after he set the bomb and the bomb blew up, he actually took a boat to this camp, this camp where these teenagers were, and he just started, he started shooting. And at the end, the, the toll was that 77 people died. And most of them were teenagers. Um, hundreds were injured. And it was interesting because the whole nation, you know, I mean, even all of Europe, even the world is going, you know, when stuff like this happens, it's like, man, where is the world coming to? Is there hope? Is there any answers for these? You start answering all these questions. And, and so in this Norway and Sweden and all of Europe, people are just panicking. So at the time, um, Reuben Morgan, who wrote some great, incredible songs for Hillsong, Reuben Morgan from Hillsong, Sydney, was actually in Stockholm, Sweden at the time. And when he got there, people were just reeling from what was going on with this tragedy, with this horrific thing that happened. And so three, of the, uh, three worship leaders got together. It was Reuben Morgan and two guys from Stockholm. They got together. They decided, you know what? We're going to react to what happened. We're, gonna, we're not going to let what happened affect us because you know what? We know one thing. And you know what the one thing they held on to? I want to bring up that verse, that first verse. 
The one thing they held on to was this old hymn called Solid Rock, and they started singing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. <laughs> I mean, imagine them coming together. It's like amazing. I didn't cry for the rest of the services. Why am I crying now? Okay. <laughs> because Jesus is awesome. Okay. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. That's the one thing they held on to. That's the one thing they got together like, dude, I love that song. And so what they decided to do is, you know what? We're Hillsong, and they, they know they have influence. They know they can bless the world. Let's write a song in reaction to this. They took this verse. They borrowed this verse. They updated. They, 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 they put a new chorus, right? Cornerstone, right? Christ alone, cornerstone. The weak made strong. So in their weakness, in this time where they're feeling weak, this song is birthed out of it. And whatever harm that guy, whoever he is, whatever harm that he intended, God turned it out, turned it around, redeemed it, and now people around the world are praising Jesus and they have hope in their lives despite the fact of the tragedy that caused and brought even this song to come. Are you guys hearing me? So we're going to sing this song. I'm going to invite Tate. He's going to lead us into Cornerstone.
Jesus is good. He is a good shepherd. He is faithful. And I'm going to pray for you guys because I think a lot of us, including myself, we need help. We need to tra trade the sweetest frame that we've been depending on, and we've got to trade it for Jesus Christ. We have to trade it. We've got to trade up. <laughs> we do. And whatever frame means to you, whether it's your frame of mind, whether you've relied on yourself for a lot, and that's okay. Right? And you're going, I can do this. You know? I can make it through. My mind is strong. My body is strong. Well, I'll tell you this, Jesus' mind and body is stronger. <laughs> Absolutely stronger. Yours isn't compared to his, I'm sorry. It's incredible. He gave his life up, right? That's how incredible his body is. That he gave it up for you and me. His frame of mind is constant and faithful and is a solid rock and it will never change. His love will never change for you. Actually, his frame of mind is saying that he has a better future for you. You have to tap into that. Maybe your second frame, maybe you're one of those people who believe you, you're, you rely on another person for your relationship with God, your husband or your wife. It's like they're the ones that bring me to church or whatever it is. 
or that I'm, I'm with my friends and those are the people I depend on. Well, you know what? And even myself, maybe you depend on Pastor Carl or, or, or Trevor who does worship for you, for you to get close to the Lord. I want to say this. That's okay, but we're not that good. We're not that good. Jesus is good. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is faithful, right? Maybe the third thing, maybe you're one of the third framers that you have something else, a possession or your house or your accomplishments or the businesses that you've built or your charisma or your talent and you've got, gone long enough, but I'm sorry, you're going to reach a cap where you go to 100% and that's all you can do. Jesus has blown the 100% cap off and saying, I can do so much that you can't even imagine. Trust in that. So I want to pray for you guys, but I, I'm going to do a little challenge. And is this a safe place here? Yeah. Is there no shame here? Yeah. And I'm raising my hand right now, but if you want to trade something that has been your sweetest friend, that you have competed for Christ, that's been competing for Christ, that's taken the place of Christ, when I want you to raise your hand, you go, no longer, I want to trade. I want Christ to be my rock. I give up my sweetest frame. Is there anybody out here? Raise your hand right now. Look around you. Basically, you're saying, I am so sorry, Jesus. I have trusted in something else other than you. Look at the hands. Look at the hands. Come on, keep them up. That's an amazing thing right there. And I'll pray for you guys. And while we're praying, since our hands is up, let's just worship Jesus right now. Let's put our hands up and worship him. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you are incredible, that you blow me away constantly, that you blow my socks off. I've been a Christian for a long time, and those things will not end. You still surprise me. You're an incredible God. But right now, with all these hands up, the hands that were raised, so I, God, I want to trade my sweetest frame for you. Whether I've depended on myself, I depend on that no longer, because you are better. You are perfect. If it's another person, Lord, they're great, but they're not as great as you, God. If it's possessions, Lord, I give them up to you because you're going to use them. You're going to expand them. You're going to use them for things that I've never even thought of. You're going to use me in a way that is so great and so glorious. I can't help but give you all the glory for it. I thank you, Lord. You are God. You're amazing. I love you. I thank you so much. I give it to you. I let go, Lord Jesus. Thank you.